you stand with me, I'm going to read a passage today from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, four verses, beginning in verse 16, Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This is God's Word, church. Please be seated. All right, church, last week we wrapped up our series on Genesis 1 through 3 that we've been on for several months, and uh, this week we've got a one-time only on what does the Bible say about abortion. Uh, normally, I would have done that last week with the, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, but I thought it was important to go ahead and get closure on that series before, you know, one week later. And in the providence of God, I'm glad I did because uh, during the week, we had this uh, uh, news out of New York State that, uh, that in New York, you can abort babies until birth. And uh, I think all of us have been incredibly uh, just aghast uh, by that in our country. And so, even better timing. You know, this is not a cheery topic. I got that. I, in fact, last, week, last message, about two-thirds of the way in, man, I just, there's so many gloomy faces out there that I had to see if I could get a smile or something. Uh, I understand that. Uh, this is not a cheery topic. And many of you groan inwardly with the thought of, of a message on abortion. Um, but we don't have the option of ignoring the crucial issues of our day. And that would include the abortion crisis in our land. Since I was in my young 20s, I have regarded abortion as the gravest spiritual and moral crisis of our day. And I still believe strongly that is true. And I'll explain why a bit later. So as the disciple of Jesus Christ, like our Savior, we stand against injustice what we have not done so well is we have not modeled the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus. We don't want to respond as angry, haughty, self-righteous, condescending people, but as people who are fearless with truth but full of grace. That's how we lead out when we follow Christ. So we want to do that. Uh, part of my goal this morning is to disturb the comfortable and to comfort the disturbed. And I feel very strongly about the latter. I feel strongly about both, but I feel particularly strongly about the latter. Those of you who have been involved with abortion, either men or women, do not live under condemnation, guilt, and shame. Do not let Satan ruin your life when we don't follow religion, good boys and good girls. We follow the grace of God. And that's our only hope, all of us. Our only hope is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we are those who believe that God himself came to this planet to die on a bloody cross to pay for my sin, and we will not thumb our nose at that and just treat it as a triviality that doesn't have power for me. It is arrogant for us to think that my sin is so special 
that the blood of Jesus cannot cover it. So we don't believe that. We, we humble ourselves and gratefully, every one of us, we gratefully receive the overflowing grace of God and we, we glory in the cross of Christ. It is no accident in my mind that the lead character in the Old Testament, David, was involved with murder and became a champion of grace. God is teaching us something. And it is no accident, besides the Lord Jesus Christ, the lead character of the New Testament, Paul um, was guilty of murder and became a champion of grace. God is teaching us something, that our sin is never bigger than God's grace. So how can I impress that more deeply? Um, I long that for us. It is not spiritual to flagellate yourself for sin that Christ has already been crucified for. I understand that besides all the resources of our church with healing prayer, freedom prayer, prayer partners at the end of the service, we can refer you to some wonderful counselors. We've got home churches that can walk with you, but that the Crisis Pregnancy Center uh, has uh, ministries for those who have gone through abortions, either, both women and men. And, and you can get more information after the service about that. So, so um, are we clear? We don't stand on religion. We stand on the grace of God. And we glory in it. We glory in it. Okay. All right, let me just be clear. Uh, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is a, a moral issue. Uh, yes, it involves politics, just like it involves um, law, law, medicine, a business, um, but it is at heart a spiritual, moral, theological issue, and we will look at it that way. Okay, we got four principles from the scriptures that we're going to uh, press into. First of all, the unborn baby is a person from conception. Now, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. If we're talking about an unborn baby who is a person, then that really settles everything else. The, problem, the, the preborn baby is not simply tissue. It's not simply human tissue. It's not simply living human tissue. The baby is not simply human life. The baby is a person, a human being with a soul. It's noteworthy that you cannot turn to a passage in the Bible that talks about abortion. Why is that? Why is that? Because it was unthinkable for the people of God to be involved with abortion in any way whatsoever. One Old Testament scholar put it this way. He said the most significant thing about abortion legislation in biblical law is that there is none. It was so unthinkable that an Israelite, Israelite, Israeli woman couldn't quite say Israelite. It was so unthinkable that an Israelite woman should desire an abortion that there was no need to mention this offense in the criminal code. Same for the New Testament church. It just wasn't done. So abortion was practiced by Israel's neighbors. It's not a modern invention, uh, but it was not practiced by the people of God. And that's so, it's so telling for us. Now, though the word abortion is not mentioned, um, the Bible assumes that the unborn baby is a person. And, and down deep, pe people know that, by the way. They know it. Um, for example, Psalm 139 is a beautiful passage in which David 
recounts God's intimate knowledge and careful fashioning of him in the womb. And the, they use his personal pronouns, you know, he. Uh, there's continuity of, of David before and after the birth, in the womb and out of the womb. Uh, it's clear that God is, is just very carefully shaping this little preborn baby and that this baby it, it has incredible worth and value to God. And that, that passage uh, just assumes it. In Psalm 51.5, it's even a little bit more clear when David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, think about that. David was conceived in sin, and he's referring to sin nature. That, uh, you know, born, you know, it's passed down from our ancestors. We're, we, we, uh, we're born with a sin nature. Now, a, a glob of cells, a bunch of tissue, doesn't have a sin nature. People do. Persons. He assumes it in this passage. And then there's the passage in Luke 1, uh, particularly telling, I think, when Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and then Mary, her cousin, comes to visit her, and she's pregnant, just pregnant, with the unborn Jesus. And uh, the way they speak to each other and assume personhood in verse 41, Luke 1, 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, referring to her baby, John the Baptist, he leaped in her womb. A few verses later, Elizabeth, Elizabeth elaborates that when she says, for behold, speaking to Mary, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And uh, so, regular New Testament term for baby is used, everyday term for baby. And uh, Elizabeth is saying that uh, somehow the Spirit of God uh, revealed to her unborn baby, John the Baptist, that uh, the Messiah that you are spending your whole life to prepare for, he's in your presence, and he leaps with joy. Globs of tissue do not leap for joy, do not experience joy, do not feel joy. Babies do. There are other passages that we could look at, but the Bible clearly assumes that the unborn baby in the womb is a person from the moment of conception. One scholar commented on that. He said, today science has only made that easier to believe, not harder. Ultrasound technology has given us a stunning window on the womb that shows the unborn at eight weeks sucking the thumb, sucking his thumb, recoiling from pricking, responding to sound. Hear this part. All the organs are present. Eight weeks. By the way, after this service, if you'd like, you can see how, the size of an eight-week-old baby. Something like this. We've got uh, little um, models of uh, babies, you know, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks, and a couple of others, 20 weeks, 30 weeks or something. And, and eight weeks. Eight weeks. Just about all abortions take place after that. So... All the organs are present at eight weeks. The brain is functioning. The heart is pumping. The liver is making blood cells. The kidneys are cleaning fluids. And there is a fingerprint. Eight weeks. Nearly all abortions in our country take place after that. And when we consider that in a lot of the biblical evidence, we think, good night, what is going on? What in the world? What are we doing? Number two, therefore, abortion is killing a baby, killing a person. Words matter. 
we need the courage to call this what it is. It's not simply terminating a pregnancy, but it's killing a baby, an unborn child. From the Ten Commandments, we see that only God has the right to take human life, not humans. Uh, it is part of, part of God's sovereignty, part of God's godness. He gives life and he takes life. The New Testament, I mean, the Old Testament passage in Proverbs that I read earlier said, you know, the six things, no, seven that God hates. One of those was hands that shed innocent blood. If there's any human blood that's innocent, is that, is that blood? Abortion, like other forms of murder, not only attacks the sacredness of human life, but it, it is an affront to the sovereignty of God, to the godness of God. It is an arrogant affront, defiance against God. The statistics are horrific. You're not going to see them tomorrow in the Wall Street Journal or the Houston Chronicle, and you're not going to hear them tonight on the net, net, network news. So at some point, you need to hear them or to be reminded of them. Since 1973 in our land, 61 million. That ought to buckle our knees. 61 million. Worldwide since 1980, 1 1.5 billion with a B. Since 1973 in the United States, one-third of the aborted babies have been black babies. Which reminds us that there is a racism component inherent in the abortion industry in the United States. One writer said the de facto effect of putting abortion clinics in the urban centers, where is the largest abortion clinic in the United States placed in Houston? In the urban center. The de facto effect of doing this is that abortion of Hispanic and black babies has more than doubled their percentage of the population. Every day, 1,300 black babies are killed in America. 700 Hispanic babies die every day from abortion. Call this what you will, when the slaughter has an ethnic face and the percentages are double that of the white community and the killers are almost all white, something is going on here that ought to make the lovers of racial equality and racial harmony wake up. Church, this is genocide on a scale that far surpasses Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, Khmer Rouge, Cambodia. On our watch, in our land. Um, it is the gravest moral and spiritual crisis of our day, and we cannot be silent. Church, we can expect God's severe judgment on our country. We can expect that. That will happen apart from revival and a widespread repentance and brokenness. And if the church doesn't lead the way, something is wrong with us. We cannot be silent in the, in the face. We, ca we cannot be apathetic in the face of silence. We cannot be, we must repent of our silence and our apathy. I'm looking for a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. He's got such a good quote on this. We'll come to it later. Um, okay, uh, so just clear on this second one, uh, and let's be clear that the laws regarding abortion in the United States are immoral, evil, and wrong, and every pulpit in the country 
ought to declare that, especially today. If 400,000 churches would, would say, this is horrific, and there was an outcry about this, something would happen. Okay, number three. God has a special heart for the weak and the vulnerable all through Scripture. Now, we know that, don't we? We see that. We see passages like Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18, and there are over 30 of these in the Old Testament. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. This has nothing to do with Republican politics. This has to do with everything with the Word of God and God's heart. They may be right about abortion. They're not right on immigration. God's heart is for the foreigner and the sojourner. Everyday word for immigrant all through the Old Testament. There is no one more vulnerable and weak in our society than an unborn child. No one. Combine that with the heart of Jesus and what Jesus said about children. And if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better if you had never been born and you were uh, hung by the neck, you know, neck around, uh, around a millstone, drowned in the ocean. I mean, in light of that, in light of those of us who have read the Bible in no biblical perspective, whoa, this ought to be... Oh, astounded at what's going on in our country on our watch. Number four, we must demonstrate special concern for the weak and the vulnerable. It's not enough just to say God has a special heart uh, for the vulnerable and the weak. You know, not only those passages like Deuteronomy 10, but the passages like Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about the, the, the vulnerable and the weak, he, he, he enumerates. He talks about the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the prisoner. And he says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And, and uh, he's saying that, you know, find me uh, in the people around you who are most needy and vulnerable because there I am in disguise. And there are no more vulnerable folks. So it's not just that God has a heart, but that we must demonstrate God's heart for the weak and the vulnerable. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, said, Lord, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. It does not work for the Christ follower to say, I am personally opposed to abortion, but that cannot affect what I do or say in public. One church sponsored a large ad in a, a newspaper that said, I am personally pro-life, but politically pro-choice. Signed, Pontius Pilate. The biblical call to action all through the Bible about injustice. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? To love kindness, or we could translate it mercy, mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 looks like it could be written for abortion specifically. When it says, rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? There's a gulp factor in that. All righty, so we too know that we, we can't just 
recognize that God has a heart for the vulnerable and the weak and the needy and the unborn, but that we must be active. Uh, we must act. Uh, how can we do that? How can we demonstrate God's heart for these folks? Um, five things. First of all, repent. Now, I'm talking about every one of us. Whether or not you've been involved with an abortion as a woman or as a man, we live in a country in which this has gone on. Do you remember Daniel 9, one of the great prayers of the Old Testament? How Daniel prayed this prayer of brokenness and repentance before Almighty God for the, for the incredible rebellion by Israel against God. Now, he was living a blameless life. He's one of the most, most godly men in the world, in the, in the Bible. But, but he was repenting from his heart. And that is the call for the church today. And I'd say especially for the pastors of the church. Repent. Here's my Martin Luther King Jr. quote. We shall have to repent in this generation, not so much for the evil deeds of the wicked people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Okay, second, pray. Pray for revival. Pray for revival in our church, our community, our city, our country, our land. Because ultimately this is a theological issue. This is a spiritual issue. We will not have any significant change until there's a widespread revival. I mean, we, we could work in other ways to try to help the problem, but, but, but we, want the most, we want to go to the roots of the matter and see a widespread revival. In 1700s England, John Wesley uh, was part of leading, a, leading John George Wetfield leading a great revival, both in England and the United States, and, 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 and justice issues were affected, and, and things changed. And that's what we need. Don't listen to the lie that cannot happen in America. Don't listen to the lie that we're always going to have abortion. Uh, uh, that is a lie. And we're going to fight against it. So pray. If Houston becomes the city of God, then abortion clinics, including Planned Parenthood, will dry up for lack of business. And that's what we want. Thirdly, repent, pray, walk in grace and truth the way Jesus did. Now, there are tons of Christians who are not walking on the truth side and not saying a word. But there are also some Christians who are very active in this who are not walking on the grace side. And, and so many are known for anger, self-righteousness, judgmentalism, condescension. Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. He loved people. And that's why he spoke up about injustice. So we want to walk in grace and truth. Fourthly, vote in a democracy that's essentially, I mean, the United States, many of you were born in other countries, and some of you are citizens, some of you are not, but all of us who are, who are citizens of the United States, you know, basically the government's in our hands. You know, it's of the people, by the people, for the people. Uh, we're in a democracy, and if we don't vote, uh, it's almost complicity. Vote pro-life about this most urgent of issues. Fifthly, act, do something. And I got a few more suggestions under act or do something. Uh, you might volunteer at one of the pregnancy centers around here, the crisis pregnancy centers, or Montgomery County Right to Life, or some other ministry. At our missions corner, which is right out those two middle doors after the service, some of you uh, would want to walk by there and get some information because God is taking your heart to get involved with the ministry. God doesn't call every single one of us to get involved with pro-life ministry. 
Uh, I know some folks think, think that's true, and, and, and I do believe it is the most urgent cause, but God calls us in all kinds of ministries in all kinds of ways. And, and so, you know, you're not the Holy Spirit telling others what, where they need to serve, but many of you, you are being called to this ministry. We've got information right out those doors, led by a couple of, of folks who go to Woods Edge, part of the Woods Edge family. Okay, in addition to uh, uh, getting involved, some of you, directly, uh, you can give. Your giving here at Woods Edge would help this issue and many other ministries. But God also may lead you to give specifically to one of these pro-life ministries that lead the way in the fight. Also, anything that you do to help foster children or the cause of adoption directly affects the pro-life cause. And we have so many powerful pro-life, I mean, adoption, foster care ministries here at Woods Edge that many of you are involved in, and you help. If, if you're not called to foster or adopt yourself, you can get trained for babysitting and, and really help out or in other ways. Serve at one of our summer camps involving for foster kids. So a few ways to specifically get involved, five ways to respond, repent, pray, walk, vote, act, do something. All right. So biblical perspective, just simple outline overview. The unborn baby is a person from conception. Therefore, abortion is killing a baby, killing a person. Thirdly, God has a special heart for the weak and the vulnerable. Fourthly, we must demonstrate God's special heart for the weak and the vulnerable. Now, church, I read history, and I know this about the Civil War America. I know that there were millions of people who considered themselves Christians who were okay with slavery. It was okay. They were able to justify it or rationalize it. Now, there were tons of Christians who would not stand for it and who would consistently speak up against it. But with, with millions of people, seemingly good people, sweet people, nice people, even Christian people who would legitimize it, it would be easy if you and I were living in that culture to kind of go along and swim in the stream and, and be okay with slavery. Today, no one is okay with slavery. We would think, you know, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? You know, there can be a lot of people who believe in something and be dead wrong. In 1930s Germany, uh, the church officially and many Christians, tons of Christians, went along for a long time with Nazism and Hitlerism. Now, there were plenty of Christians who said no, and they would stand against it, and it cost some of them their lives, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But there were tons of people who, man, they, they saw their pastors going along with it, and, and they not only justified it, they ignored it, they were apathetic about it, and uh, you could justify that if everybody else around you was doing that. But today, no person that is sane can justify Hitlerism and Nazism. It is an atrocity and a horror to all of us. Today, this is what's happening. There are millions of Christians who are not been out of shape about this. They're okay with it. You know, they're good people, sweet people, even Christian people who can justify or rationalize. And one day, all of us will be aghast. How in the world 
did those Christians live in that culture, in that country, at that time, and let this go on? And maybe one day your grandchildren will ask you, uh, Granny, you know, Grandfather, uh, what did you do about this evil? And will you say, I turned my head and ignored it? Is that good enough? And even more importantly, what will you say to God who has been so good to you and to me? Church, this is a time to stand. Stand with me. Lord, forgive us as a church for not reflecting your heart for these precious babies. Forgive me as pastor, Lord, for not caring more. Forgive us, oh God. Forgive us as a church in the United States. Forgive us as a country. We are so sorry. We're so sorry. And Lord, we don't know what to do. We got some ideas, Lord God, but we don't know what to do. And we don't have the strength to do it, but would you help us? We surrender this thing to you. And I pray you would get every single one of us, Lord God, in our response, in our heart, in what we do. Lord, if there are some men and women here who have been living under guilt and condemnation, would you please set them free right now, right now. May they just immerse themselves in the shed blood of Jesus and know that God's grace is greater than our sin. Lord, would you please bring a miraculous revival in our city that Houston would be a great city of God for your glory and in our land.